Welcome to In the Booth, a Frederick News Post podcast exploring the 2016 races to represent Frederick County. This has been an election year like no other, both around the county and around the country. Here, we'll explore issues important to Frederick County voters, from third-party candidates to overcrowded roads and classrooms to presidential politics. I'm Jeremy Bauerwolf, here with my co-host, City Editor Andy Schatz. Hello. And we are In the Booth. Glad Hill Furniture is the only place you need to visit. Save big by taking half off all leather furniture store-wide. And this month, you can also take advantage of 24 months 0% financing. Stop by and visit one of our expert design consultants and get luxury for less. Ken Kerr is a Frederick Community College professor, English department chairman, and former FCC administrator. He got his start driving school buses, but eventually moved into the classroom. He's taught both in Frederick County Public Schools elementary and high school classrooms. While he came in middle of the pack in April's primary election, he almost grabbed a seat in 2014 from seated board member April Miller. Only 43 votes separated them in the 2014 general election. Now Kerr is back, touting his experience bringing college programs to the county's high schools. Today on In the Booth, we find out what Kerr intends to do to win the seat this election cycle. Thank you so much for joining us today. Glad to be here. So why don't you just start out by telling me a little bit why you started to run? I am interested in serving on the Board of Education because I want to make sure that every child in Frederick gets a good education regardless of zip code, regardless of neighborhood. I have... um, not my entire life, but most of my professional life I've been in in education, not just in the classroom, but also serving as an administrator in various professional organization leadership positions. And so I I have a, a pretty broad scope of everything that goes into making an educational enterprise work. And that is some way that I feel I can offer that to to my community. Do you think that Frederick County students are tested too much? Sure. And, and if so, then what would you like to see change? Well, uh, much of the testing is mandated uh, by state and federal law. Now, even though the the park assessments are mandated by federal law and test many of the same things that the Maryland tests do. Maryland is still in, insisting that that we do both. I I don't think we need to do both if we re, if we if we trust the park assessment to to accurately assess our students. Then I don't think we need to uh, to keep doing the state test. Now I can see doing it in the beginning because you want to make sure the two are calibrated. So you have a, a an instrument, an assessment instrument that you trust. You have students take that along with the new instrument and you see if they're in agreement. But once you know they're in agreement, I think that's one way that we could cut back. Other than that, I I think we need to work legislatively. Right now the law mandates that every student gets tested every year in grades three through eight. Uh, we know statistically that we don't need to test every student to get a good understanding of how well our school system is doing. And that's really what these tests are designed for, is to see, is our, is our approach working? Is our curriculum working? They're really not very good measures of, is this individual child in this individual classroom doing well? 
but we seem to use them that way because we can. Um, so I'd like to see uh, legislation be a bit more reasonable and allow us to, to randomly sample tests rather than testing every child every year. The, the uh, Frederick County Board of Education has now taken a step to um, amplify its position, I guess, on opt out, uh, uh, opting out of testing and mm -hmm. refusing testing. What is your position on each of those? Um, especially for students who are, are learning disabled and students who are not, not mainstream special ed students, but students who are who require separate services. I, I question as to whether it's appropriate to have them included in the, in the overall statistics. Um, so I think certainly for that population, the test out, opt out, refusal is completely reasonable. Uh, there is the law that says 95% of the students need to be tested. That's something that I think we're gonna be pushing the envelope on uh, we may dip below that, and we'll just have to see what the consequences are. But to, to answer your question more briefly, I, I agree with and would have voted in favor of the test out, of the opt out refusal policy that was just passed. But one thing that I would have liked to have seen alongside of it is some hint of what the procedure will be, because I, I want to, I would want to make sure that that policy is uniform across all the schools throughout the county and that the students who do refuse to take the test in, in one school are treated exactly the same way as students in another school. Uh, but and unfortunately there wasn't an accompanying policy. So I may have I may have requested to see at least a draft policy before I voted in favor a draft procedure before I voted in behavior in favor of the policy, but I would in general have supported the policy. The state um, last legislative session considered a, a 2% testing cap of all classroom time. Only 2% of classroom time could be devoted to testing. Would you have been in support of that measure? 180 school days, 2% still is about four days. And I think now it's, um, wasn't it five days, I think was the last thing I saw. So it's really not, it's a step in the right direction for sure. Um, four days of, of testing a year, if you look at there are four terms, that would line up appropriately. Uh, but, but, you know, as I mentioned earlier, standardized testing is best used to look on a macro level, not a micro level. The best assessment for you can do for individual classrooms and individual students is, is embedded within the work that the students are doing anyway within the curriculum. You just, you don't create new opportunities for students to demonstrate their skills and abilities. You embed opportunities for students to, to demonstrate their skills and abilities and you pull the data from already existing classroom activities and assessments that go on, go on daily. That, that would give more control to classroom teachers, more control to individual buildings. But these are educational professionals who are completely capable of assessing a student's ability. I'd like to see more of that and less of the emphasis on the standardized stuff. 
What do you think has been overlooked in the Frederick County budget, and is there anything that you think is overrepresented and maybe needs to be cut? You know, uh, lots of people run for the Board of Education vowing to weed out waste and abuse and find money to cut. And they never seem to find any low-hanging fruit to cut. So it would be, rather than cutting with the machete, it's really getting in there with a scalpel. And sometimes you have to wonder, will it cost us more in terms of time and manpower to find the waste than the waste we're going to find? So I don't, I don't really think that there are any easy places to find where the budget can be cut. Uh, I know that um, at Frederick Community College, when we are up against uh, a budget limit, we are asked in our individual areas to identify areas that where we could find some, some excess budget. That's where I don't know that the FCPS has ever done that. But I think asking the people who are in the classrooms, the people who are in individual buildings, where do you see that, that you have excess and also with, the, with support staff, asking them where might we find some savings? A common uh, theme when budget time comes around is that the Frederick County Board of Education encourages the public to advocate the county and the state governments for more money, mm -hmm. um, and they push for more money. Is there a better way to address the budget other than just asking those entities for more money? Do you mean when they all show up with matching T-shirts? And Sure. Uh, that's, I think that's, that's helpful. But I think over time, it becomes expected, and so people don't really see it any longer. What, what people are convinced by are numbers and rather than, than emotion. You know, in, in teaching my freshman composition class, when I'm teaching my students how to write in a convincing way, it's the old, you make an emotional appeal, you make an ethical appeal, you make a logical appeal. And the one that's most convincing is the logical appeal, provide the evidence. I think we need to have more of that, more, uh, more numbers and, and measurements about here's, here's the money we're asking for, here's why we're asking for it, and here's what's going to change as a result of it. Now, of course, you still need a little bit of emotion, a little bit of an ethical component to that argument, but I think we probably need to make a more convincing data argument rather than emotional argument. Well, speaking of appeals for money, there's a um, challenge throughout the state with all the local jurisdictions in trying to get enough money for school construction, right. and Frederick County is facing that just like anybody else. Uh, do you think that some of the discussions that are playing out at the county level, the county executive and the county council are, are talking about ideas, maybe bringing in private partnerships? Mm -hmm. Have you heard ideas that you think would work? And is there anything that you think is being overlooked in this argument? Uh, 
It's actually going on at the state level, and County Executive Gardner is representing Frederick County on statewide task force to look at, at school funding, school construction funding. They actually met yesterday. Uh, they have a charge to present their recommendations by December 16. They're looking at a lot of different things. Um, there's a art center in Hagerstown that is being used as a model. There's, an, um, there's another one in Anne Arundel County that's a public-private partnership. Uh, there are very few in the state. Uh, one of the things you have to think about with school construction is that schools are really used all year round and they're used from about 7.30 in the morning till about 10 o'clock at night by hundreds, if not thousands, of people. So the wear and tear on that's much different than the wear and tear that would be on your home, say, with the three or four people living in the 1,500, 2,000 square feet. So for example, a average cost for a, someone's home is $117 a square foot. The average cost to build a school roughly is $300 a square foot, and that's to provide an average of 150 square feet, feet per student. Uh, now, some things that have been looked at are, can you use gypsum walls rather than masonite walls, masonry walls? Uh, but the, the things with, um, like Carroll Creek Montessori School and the Frederick Classical Charter School where they've where they've out, outfitted an, a building in an industrial park to be a school. Is, is there problems with things like noise abatement, uh, acoustical ceilings, and uh, drywall? It doesn't really keep noise with one, within one room, and, and education is and should be noisy. So those types of things in, in non-school construction are... Uh, or what drives the cost up. A couple of ways we could save some money, and I think a really easy one is to reuse blueprints. Seems like every time we build a school, we hire a new architect, we get a new set of drawings. Or if we have a school that's demonstrated to be an effective instructional facility, why not just replicate that same footprint and same interior in a different location? I, that's not uh, the overwhelming um, part of the budget of building a new school, but it is hundreds of thousands of dollars. Some uh, state mandates have been politicized, you know, for instance, the prevailing wage mm -hmm. law, the, some environmental standards for schools, and I think there's been some movement to advocate to repeal those. Uh, is that something you would support? Uh, I think that the government should demonstrate best practices for employment. And if we are committed to a living wage for all workers in Maryland, if we're committed to, to buying American products and locally sourcing as much as we can, then, then no, I would not uh, be in favor of that. I, I would like to see the school system and the local government mirror what we hope our private employers would do in taking care of their employees. The local school board also took some action recently in trying to address what is seen as an inequity in the salary structure mm -hmm. for teachers. Uh, they took some steps. I don't know if that satisfies everybody, but seems to seems to have closed the gap in some key areas. 
what is your analysis of what they did? Do you support the way they took it on, and do you think there's more to do? Yeah, the old uh, salary structure has become unsustainable, especially since 2008, when actually the the budget had been shrinking for a while. Now the budget is expanding a bit, but there's a lot of catch-up we need to do. But to give everyone in the school system a step, which was the old system, was over $10 million a year, and that's just for this year. Next year it would be an additional $10 million. So what they really had to do was re reset the salary scale so that, so that they can honor the implied promise at the beginning of employment that that teachers and staff and administrators would see a steady increase in their salary in exchange for beginning employment at a relatively lower salary. As you know, many of the, of the teachers who were hired in 2008 uh, were hired with the understanding, recruitment, uh, understanding at recruitment that that yeah, we're only paying you $42,000 to start, but you can expect a three, three and a half percent increase fairly regularly. I, I think they've only seen a total of five and a half or six percent since 2008. So they're, those are the ones who are hurt the most. So readjusting the salary scale, putting a bit more money in at the starting end, and then having incremental steps that are sustainable and are affordable was something that needed to be done. Now, I, I think that, that the current iteration of the, of the salary scale restructure only addresses instructional faculty, doesn't really address staff and administrators, but staff and administrators are, are also in need of recognizing the good work they do and the continued employment and the loyalty to the system with what they can come to expect as a as a regular increase to, that recognizes their commitment to the to the school system and the excellent work they do but we have to make sure it's sustainable and i think that the approach with the restructuring of the salary scale is is the first step in ensuring that do you think it's feasible to fund that salary scale in the time that they've allotted which is over the next 3 years that that still does require, I think, oh gosh, it's a three and a half percent increase in the maybe it was a no. I'm thinking three and a half million rather than the ten. It's million. significant. Yeah. Uh, yes, I think I think three and a half million is something that is doable. I know that the. That the the budget was increased by a seven million for a salary pool this year, and then it was taken out, and then I think put back into the to the level of six million. But uh, the county executive the has indicated a commitment to continue to increase funding for the public schools at a reasonable rate, and I think that uh, three and a half million is probably well within uh, the county's ability to fund. Do you think this issue has been painted the way it actually is, meaning is this such a big deal for teachers? You know, it's commonly cited that teachers are actually leaving mm -hmm. Frederick County to mm -hmm. pursue a higher salary, and is morale really that low among teachers around this issue? I, I don't know about the morale, but I do know about the, the leaving aspect. Uh, we have a, a dual enrollment 
program between Frederick Community College and Frederick County Public Schools where we have uh, properly credentialed high school teachers who are offering college-level classes in the high school as part of their workload, as part of their day. Now they, they come to FCC and they work with us. We provide them support, professional development. We visit them in their classrooms. We make sure that, that the course that they're delivering in the high school is equivalent in, in scope and rigor to the course, the identical course we're delivering on the central campus. And um, we're in all 10 high schools now, and I did lose two, two teachers this year who went to Montgomery County, and, and they left for higher salaries. And this is just, um, I think we're talking uh, maybe 18 or 20 teachers that I have in my department teaching in this dual enrollment program. It's to, have, to have two go is about a 10% attrition rate just in my experience. So I can tell you that it, it is happening. And, and it's a loss because now we need to find a properly credentialed teacher to take their place. We need to once again provide them with the professional development and mentoring and oversight. It's, it's much cheaper to retain a good employee than to go out and hire a new one. How much influence do you think the teachers union has in the primary and general election? Does the Apple ballot really carry great weight or is that just one voice among many? Uh, I think for some people it's very helpful. I think that there's a certain proportion of the electorate that they will look at the Apple ballot as something that they don't want to support. Um, it's Teachers have, uh, education in general, has become a very convenient punching bag, uh, and un, unjustly so, but it's, it's an easy target. Te they think that... Um, that teachers don't have to work that hard. There's, there's a popular belief that bad teachers are protected and that um, all teachers are interested about is, is money and their, and their own personal well-being. And teachers tend not to fight back. They're busy people. They're professional. And, you know, frankly, that, that argument is a, is a bit demeaning and, and beneath getting in the mud over. And so that, that belief is permitted to persist. And, but I, I think that, the, that, that those people who value public education and, and respect teachers and recognize the excellent school system and the good work that it does, that those are the people who are influenced by the Apple ballot. A lot of people don't pay attention to the Board of Ed race. It's, it's the last race that appears on the ballot. Uh, in the primary, there were 60,000 undervotes. Uh, people who just did not even bother to cast a vote or to cast all three votes for, for the Board of Education. People don't seem, uh, many of the, of the people don't seem to understand that the county schools account for the majority of their property taxes, uh, almost half of the county's operating budget goes to the county schools, and then another not insignificant portion of their state income taxes come back to Frederick County in, in terms of school funding. Uh, I think if, if people understood that, uh, they'd pay a bit more attention to, to who's running. 
Uh, also, I can't think of anything that more directly affects property values as does the school that that address feeds into. People buy houses, be, and many times when they have, especially when they have uh, children, school-aged children, they buy a house, but they're really buying a school. Uh, it's, it's often the first question that they'll ask a realtor is, what school does this does this um, does this house feed into? So I th- in that in that respect, I think that the uh, that the Apple ballot is is respected and paid attention to by those people who care deeply about public education. This election cycle and the board has gotten pretty politically, visibly political, even though it's a nonpartisan race. Um, one of the candidates who dropped out uh, very publicly said that she did so to prevent another candidate from being elected uh, as a part of a strategy. So were you involved in any of those strategical discussions? And uh, what are your thoughts on that? We... Um Mike uh, Bonitsky, Joy Schaefer, Shirley McDonald, Lois Jarman, and I uh, spoke a lot during the, the three forums and various other events. Um, we are all, in some respect, educators and have a, uh, a lifelong commitment to, to public education, so we were we're very much um, of a similar mind. Uh, once the primary was over, uh, the five of us did get together and kind of talk about what happened in the primary. A lot of it was surprising that Zakir Bengali did not make it through the primary. Everyone thought that Jay Mason was a really excellent candidate. It was surprising that, that he didn't make the primary cut. But then also based upon my uh, previous experience in running for this office, you find that, that the results of the primary are a good indicator of the results of the general election. A couple of people in the top spots may may jockey a bit for position, but the people who come in toward the end in the primary are the same ones who come in the end at the general. So uh, just in our, in our discussions, being frank with each other, you know, we said, well, if... Um, if we want to make sure that that three of the five of us are the ones who win uh, the three open seats, then if all five of us are in, it we're just going to split the vote. So I think um, you know, based upon those conversations, you know, this was like back in April, right after the after the primary, everybody went their separate ways and kind of considered what's in the best interest of the schools. I know that, that Lois was very was very vocal in her reason for dropping out. And uh, and perhaps uh, her dropping out then encouraged uh, Shirley McDonald to do the same, having having seen that probably if 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 the five of us were interested in getting at least three of us elected, that that was probably the the best way to go about in improving those chances. 
Do you feel that it's important that Cindy Rose not be elected to the board? And could you work with her if you were elected? Yeah, I don't think anyone should run if they're not willing to work with anybody else who's on the board. Um, it's it's not that I oppose Cindy Rose so much as I agree with Mike and Joy um, in their their approaches. Not certainly not in everything. You know, we've uh, Mike and Joy and I have spoken frequently since Lois and Shirley uh, dropped out. And there are, you know, there are things we don't agree on, um, but there are many things that at least we're open to hearing each other's arguments for why we are in favor of, of one position over another. Um, I, Mike and Joy both have, have the type of experience and, and temperament and approach towards decision-making that I find uh, most agreeable to work with. Could you pick out uh, one item that you think has been the board's greatest success and what has been its greatest flaw? Hmm. I think that it's going to take me a minute to think. I hope we edit this part out. <laughs> um, greatest flaw, I think, is is a lot of a lot of measurement of success is based upon inputs rather than outputs. And I, for example, when they report success measures, um, an example of it would be um, AP exams. They measure the success of AP exams by how many students take the AP classes, not how many students pass the AP exam with a five or a six that will get them college credit. Um, the, the virtual high school. I was at a board meeting where a presentation took place, and, and what I heard was a measure of success by how many students were taking classes. But I didn't hear any data about how many students were passing classes. So I. That's a that's a very conceptual answer to your question, but it's it's those types of things that I think the board uh, doesn't do enough of is is looking at output data results rather than inputs to measure success. Um, I think that this this most recent decision decision about the the opt-out refusal policy was a very brave decision by the board. It It is unprecedented in the state and um, took a lot of courage. And so I would, I would use that as an example, a recent example of something that I think they did right. Well, I think we're just going to wrap things up now. Okay. If you want to tell the public where they could find out a little bit more information about you online. Sure. Kerr, my last name, K-E-R-R, -R, the number four, then B-O-E. Kerr for B-O-E, and that's at Comcast.net. That's .com, and that's also my Twitter handle. Very good. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. In the Booth is produced by Graham Cullen, Chris Sands, Danielle Gaines, and me. 
Our theme music is courtesy of FMP reporter and rocker Kelsey Luce. If it's politics and it's Frederick, we hope you'll join us for the conversation in the booth. Mm-hmm.